Hello and welcome to Sounding Out Fortune. I'm Anna. And I'm Emma. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about our four-legged friends, dogs. Yes, because we're in the middle of a dog boom, I think one could say. Off the top of my head, I think that I know seven families who've bought dogs uh, since the outset of the pandemic and uh, saying that we're recording this in January 2022, but it's, yeah. Yeah, it does seem that there are more dogs around. Likewise, I know lots of people who've got dogs or are thinking of getting a dog. Uh, actually, that is reflected nationally. Um, we've got some statistics. Dog ownership in the UK was about 24% um, between 2010 and 2020. But then as we came into the pandemic, 2020 to 2021 and all the lockdowns, it suddenly jumped to 33%. So it's uh, clear that lots more people are are taking on ownership of dogs. Mm. Have you ever been tempted to get a dog, Anna? I haven't personally. I think I'm I'm probably more of a cat person. I'd love to have a cat, but I can't (laughs) for for how I live. But it's easy to see why people are tempted to get dogs or pets in general. Mm, I agree. I don't have a dog either, but I've thought about how nice it would be to have one. But I'm lucky that I get to to share company with dogs from my wider family. My mum and my sister both have them. But I don't think you have to be a dog owner or particularly interested maybe in dogs to appreciate Mm. this episode because, I mean... No matter what you think of dogs or if you have dogs, you have to interact with them because they're everywhere. And given that dogs are so popular, we have invited professional pet nurse Zoe Blake to our episode today. Zoe's spent her life, um, she's got nearly 30 years of experience working with animals. And she's also more recently launched an awareness campaign called Respect the Lead. Um, I'm looking forward to speaking to her a little bit more about that. Here's Zoe Blake, who is a friendly pet nurse. Thanks for joining us on Sounding Out Horsham. Zoe? Hi, thanks for inviting me. So can you start by um, telling us a little bit about you and your work? Yeah, so I've been a veterinary nurse for, oh, I think I'm in my 30th year. Um, I started straight out of school, did an apprentice um, job, went to college, qualified, and then have remained in small animal practice since. Um, I currently have a couple of very different jobs um, revolving nursing. I do a evening job where I just work at a practice that does orthopaedics and spines and joints. Um, And then in the daytime I work sort of ad hoc for a local first opinion practice, so general cat dog, guinea pigs, rabbits. Um, And then since June last year I've got um, this amazing job where I do telemedicine for an Australian vet company um so we're like a one 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 for animals oh, okay. so quite a lot of vets um transfer their phones over to our platform when they're out of hours and we basically have to triage the owners and their pets and decide what sort of care that they need whether it's just general nurse care on the phone whether we can set up a video consultation or um send them to a emergency center so we have to kind of We've got this big call list of what practices use what out of hours and um yeah we have to kind of navigate australia from the uk because the uk nurses cover their night times so yeah it can be quite a challenge but i've learned a lot from that they get a lot of snake bites they have paralysis ticks and obviously i get calls about koalas and kangaroos oh, and yeah. very well, different, very different. UK, yeah. yeah but um and i've also got my business the friendly pet nurse So that offers clients services that I am legally allowed to do as a mobile service. So if a client wants their cat or dog's claws cut, 
and the animal finds it stressful to go to the surgery. If they're struggling with giving medication, I'll obviously go and help them and give some suggestions to how we can do it so it's a bit sort of friendlier for the pet. So just basically being there as a sort of district type nurse in the community. For animals. Mm. For animals. Um, but there's obviously quite a legal line of what we're allowed to do and not allowed to do. So it's a kind of preventative type care. Yeah, yeah and just helping, you know, helping the little old lady that maybe doesn't drive, who relies on a taxi. Mm-hmm. You know, the cats that really find going to the vets pretty stressful. Mm-hmm. You know, the same with the dogs. If it's basic things that actually could be done at the owner's home rather than the patient having to be taken to the vets, it can sort of release some workload off them and obviously mean it's nicer sometimes for the pet to stay at home. You must be really busy then now that there's been such a big boom in in dog ownership. Yeah I think there's 3.8 million new pets in the UK since lockdown. That's incredible and what are some of the things that you have to consider then if you're thinking about getting a dog? Okay so I always try and speak to potential dog owners before they actually even sort of choose a dog. I always say to people, what do you like to do at the weekend? Mm -hmm. So if you're an active family who love to be outside, you've got kids and they're out on their bikes and you love walking the beautiful places we've got to visit around here, then you might want to get a more active type breed. Um, If you're a family that like your Sunday lay-ins, you work really hard in the week, a less active breed might be more for you. Um, you have to look at your whole aspect. So how long are you going to be leaving the dogs? Obviously, the care that they're going to need. You need to look at insurance because vets fees can escalate. And just have you really got the time and the commitment to put into to having a dog? Some people, I think, see it as a luxury. Yeah. But actually, you have to remember that for their whole emotional sort of mental well-being, they do need to be provided with the right yeah. type of lifestyle. It's a little bit like having a having a child, having a baby, isn't it? It is. Definitely. I don't think anyone can quite prepare you for when you have the dog, Mm. you know, if it does need two or three shorter walks a day. I think if you look at sort of various surveys, I think the amount of dogs that actually get walked every day is quite low. Mm. It's only about one in four dogs actually gets Mm. one walk a day. You know, a lot of people have dogs and neighbours don't even know they've got dogs. You know, I wasn't aware you had a dog. That's, um, I mean, in terms of what you need to consider, do you need to have good space at home? And also, you say time, how often should you walk dogs? I mean, I, I try and take my own dog sort of two, three little walks a day. Sometimes it might only be one, but it'll always do something. Having a garden is obviously going to be ideal because obviously the dog can go in and out and if you're there you can have the door ajar or the dog can sort of ask you if he wants to go out. It can work if you are in a flat situation but obviously you've got to navigate stairs. Again you've got to think about the breed. Is it going to cope with going up and down stairs? So that can be restrictive. As for space, again depends on the dogs whether they like to zoom around you know you get the spaniels you know the quite active breeds even the sort of sight hounds so your your whippets and your greyhounds people think that they probably need a lot of exercise because they're athletic but actually they're dogs that have short spans of energy and then they're tired for the rest of the day Mm. so they might go for a walk and curry around like mad and then that'll be it whereas people would say, well, I'm not going to go for that sort of type of dog because they're athletic and need lots of walking. But obviously, if you've got a big breed, so a giant breed, so Newfoundland, St Bernard, yeah, you're going to need house space. 
because they are so big. But again, a lot of them don't necessarily need that much exercise. Um, a lot of, I think a lot of breeds are obviously quite gone on popularity. And of course, social media and, you know, the cute pictures. So your brachycephalic breeds, so your breeds with the short noses. Bulldogs, pugs, they are quite popular. Unfortunately, as a makeup of dogs structurally, they're not that great because they do have breathing difficulties. Yeah. So they're a dog that doesn't cope when it's hot, doesn't want to do too much exercise. Um, you need to make sure that their weight is maintained. So yeah, it is definitely having a look at if you're going to get a certain breed or a combination of breeds, because of course a lot of dogs now are crossbreeds. So there's lots of doodle types, you know, so poodles cross with anything, Labradors cross with anything. And you do really need to look at, you know, what are their temperament and personalities going to be like and is it going to fit in with the sort of lifestyle we can give them but like having a dating profile like dating profiles isn't it and matching yes. up kind of yeah. i suppose there's lots of factors yeah. um yeah to take into i account. mean the kennel club and the dogs trust and all the big rescue centers will have breed profiles and speak to people and then of course once you've thought yes i actually want to go for this breed or this type of dog it's then finding somewhere that obviously is um because unfortunately as we know there is lots of puppy farms with lockdown and the, the puppy boom the demand is yeah. there, isn't it? um dishonesty is quite common out there yeah. and as um, a potential dog buyer then what what are some of the warning signs that you can look out for so i always say to people gut instinct is really important on yeah, this yeah if you go there and you're asking some questions and you're looking around and something tells you it doesn't seem quite right then it probably isn't mm-hmm. um the most important thing really is you need to view the puppies with their mum that's really really okay. important if there's no mum and there's an excuse to where the mum is out for a walk oh she's gone to stay with a friend because she finds people viewing a bit stressful i would say that's a bit suspicious mm. to me are there stories that you've heard that people yes. have told you yeah. yeah so i would you know you need to see how the mum is interacting with the puppies and um you want to see what the mum's temperament's like you know if the mum's if you go in and the mum's shying away and hiding under the table as you're viewing the puppies those temperament traits potentially will genetically be in the puppies so again you need to be mindful of that um seeing the dad a lot of the time isn't possible because it's probably a stud dog but again you know have they got videos of the dad you know have they got testimonials of the dad and litters that the dad's had in the past just to sort of back up their claims. Um, the other really important thing is the socialisation period. So puppies' sensitive age is 6 to 13 weeks. So that is when they're really receptive of the environment that they're in and when they're sort of bonding, learning about how humans approach them. Are humans a threat or are they actually a good thing? So if you've got a puppy farm situation or a, a litter of puppies that hasn't really interacted, they're not going to get the physical contact from a lot of people and that has been the big problem with lockdown people unable to mix or have Mm. people round it's being seen quite a lot in veterinary practice that the dogs reach that age of maturity 10 months 11 months 12 months that are actually quite nervous because they haven't had the socialization that was really vital so yeah that's a really important a really important thing to consider so um a lot of people want to do a good thing and maybe not buy a puppy but rather rescue a dog from a dog shelter but then they've obviously already (laughs) that phase between did you say six and 13 weeks that's you have no idea what happened during that period how do you care for a dog that is a bit older where you don't really know what circumstances it comes from 
I mean, it's obviously very difficult. It's kind of really when you want to get probably someone that knows a bit more. So if you've got, I don't know, maybe friends that maybe have had dogs all their life or a local dog trainer or someone that you know knows a bit more to actually assess those dogs. Now, the problem can be is in a kenneling shelter situation, a lot of dogs are suppressed because they might be in a situation they feel anxious about. So... For instance, my latest dog was a Croatian ex-street dog. He came off the streets. He landed in our government kennels. We have someone that goes in there that pets them a bit and thinks, well, that's a nice dog. We'll take that out and out. And they literally then go to the rescue shelter. So I think you have to be quite mindful of that and have to work with a rescue centre, which is quite accommodating. And, And what can happen is, so you get a dog that's in a shelter and... To the rescuers, they seem okay. You know, we hasn't shown any sign of aggression while they've been here. Yeah. They've been fine with other dogs. Um, and then you take that dog then away from that situation they felt a bit helpless in. And then once they start to sort of relax a little bit, it's not unusual for sort of four, five, six weeks later for some cracks to start to appear. So for instance, my dog, so lead reactive. If he saw a dog even the other side of the road, he was straight away felt threatened and and obviously anxious because he's probably never really been on a lead before and he would act quite aggressively. You know, he'd be that stereotypical Mm. picture of the dog with someone going, going, ah, at the other dog. That wasn't there before. So the people that saw him and met him, he seemed very good and good with the other dogs. It is is a gamble, really, to what you're getting. Because, yeah, you mentioned the lead and we're obviously going to come back because you've launched this really successful campaign, Respect the Lead. But I just wanted to ask another question first about uh, training. Yes. Because that's also really vital. And I think think you have to start quite early. And then if you have a street dog, then again, you're going to have to start with an older dog. So training definitely is a life skill, like with learning for us and learning for kids. Yeah, ideally, if you can find a puppy class straight away when they're fully vaccinated. Um, A lot of people will say that, well, that's fine. I've had dogs all my life. I can train my own dogs. The great thing about a training class is that you've got, well, the added thing that there's distraction there. So, yes, you can train your dog. You know, it's focused on you. You're at home. You can get it to sit down, give you a paw, do lots of tricks. But then when you put it into a situation where it's got distraction of other dogs or other people, the dog probably then won't focus on you. And so the joy of training classes is that you have the element of the distraction and you still have to get the dog working to focus on you. Now, a lot of people will do their six week puppy course, get their rosette and their certificate, put it on the fridge, training's done. And they think that's it. Obviously, as the dog then reaches its juvenile adolescence stage, which is like teenagers in (laughs) humans. A lot of that training will suddenly be lost in hormones. They do go a little bit bolshy and a little bit... Testy. Yeah. And if you've got the foundations there and you continue to implement everything that they've been taught, you will get through that phase. The problem is a lot of the time people are pulling their hair out saying, what's happened to my nice little puppy that sat every time I asked him to sit and, Mm. and was really good? Now it's turned into this live wire. And then people start to struggle. And they don't reach out to say, they feel defeated, like, oh no, I can't go back to the trainer. I'm going to feel, you know, she was top of the class and now she's acting acting up. But that's the time you actually need to reach out and either continue right the way through to adulthood or go back and try and get the foundations back again. And that's why a lot of the time in the rescue shelters, unfortunately, 
a lot of the dogs tend to be that 10 month, 11 month age. So that's really something you have to consider before actually getting a dog. You'll have to devote quite a lot of time. Absolutely. Yeah, to training. Yeah. Yeah. And getting everyone involved. It's really important that everybody, they say it takes the dog about 200 commands to actually know what the word means. So if you've got, you know, the mum's saying this word and then the dad's using this word and the kids are just using any old word, that dog's then learning 600 words for the same action. It's really not learning. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you really need to make sure that, you know, right, as a family unit, you know, this is when we're going to say wait and this is when we're going to say stay. There's quite a few commands that are not used that are quite useful, like um, a settle command, because obviously if you might want to take your dog to the pub, you know, if you like your Sunday roast at the pub and the pub's dog friendly, you don't want the dog to be rushing at every movement or another dog yeah, comes in yeah. and they're up and not and relaxing. Not relaxing. Yeah. No. So, you know, if you've taught a settle command, you can call them to settle and also watch command. Watch command, again, is another useful command. But yeah, it's really important that everybody is singing by the same hymn sheet, as they say. You mentioned, obviously, that going to the pub, and lots of pubs now are dog-friendly, and indeed cafes, other establishments. Is there kind of a set of rules that you should be following to before you decide to take your dog? I would... Would I think it's really got to be an individual basis. When you go to training, and also, again, when you've acquired a new dog, it's really important to learn about body language. So how we can pick up signs that the animal is maybe not so happy with the situation. The first thing they might do is um, actually like lick their lips and yawn, which an owner would think, oh, the dog's tired, it's yawned. But actually, the first rung of the ladder is that that dog's telling you that actually it's not very happy with the situation. So if you miss that, then it will move up the next rung and it will start to display another behaviour. So it might be that the tail maybe goes down a little bit and the eye, the pupils dilate a little bit and maybe they sort of crouch down slightly. Um, so in that situation, if, if you were to walk in the pub, you kind of need to be watching the dog. How's it reacting to this yeah. going into the pub or the cafe? Is it comfortable with this? Or mm. actually, is it a bit nervous with this? Um, because, of course, when a dog bites, which is can be serious and fatal in some respects, they will have been showing subtle body language that they were leading to the bite. And to them, they're not doing anything wrong because they've reflected that in their behaviour. So that that's another key thing for dog ownership that people need to be made aware of. But yeah, I, I would say, you know, you've obviously got your social happy breeds, you know, that love meeting everybody. You know, your Cavalier King Childs, um, they love, they're always happy. I always say it's happy in a cabbie world. Um, <laughs> Staffordshire Bull Terriers sadly get a bad name they're really lovely dogs and they're happy 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 um so you know if the dog's wagging its tail and looks really pleased and keen to Mm. see everyone then it's probably okay with that the same with walking down a crowded street you know you could stand in horsham on the weekend and you could see lots of dogs being walked around actually you know dog watch like people watch have a little look and say is that dog comfortable with being walked in the the street and these are all things with socialization going back to when they're young that's really important you know while they're small carry them even before their vaccinations are finished carry them you know take them outside of school playgrounds don't overload them but just you know walk them next to a cattle field and the sheep field and just get them out there so that they're exposed to everything because yes some dogs you can walk down the street and you can see someone walking their dog and you can see the dogs actually really fearful and actually it would run away probably if the dog was let off the lead just from looking at the subtle body language and when you are going out to taking your dog out for a walk are there things and they're ready to be socialized are there things you need to be thinking about considering 
you know, where can you let them off the lead? When is it appropriate to, to keep them on? Yeah. What's So the most important thing with your dog and the lead situation and letting them off is have you got a recall? So will your dog come back to you mm. when it is called? Because you don't know potentially what's around the corner. You know, so you could be walking over at Chesworth and your dog's off the lead and you haven't realised the cows are out in the field. And then all of a sudden, oh my goodness, my dog needs to be back on a lead. Are you going to be able to call that dog for maximum excitement that it's zooming around and you've seen its friend, Bob, you know, yeah. the lurcher it loves up the field? Are you going to be able to call the dog back? Because really, there is the argument that if you can't call your dog back reliably, should you even be letting it off? There's obviously places that are safer. There's lots of safe dog walking fields now popping okay. up. There's quite a few in sort of surrounding the Horsham okay. area. So, for instance, my dog, sadly, is a deer chaser. So... We're limited to where he can be let off around here because there's deers everywhere and he'll find them. He'll get on the scent and he'll flush them out, which obviously isn't fine, you know, isn't fun for the deer at all. I think four hours was his biggest AWOL on a walk where he didn't come back. He will always come back exhausted, but obviously, you know, the poor trauma to the deers and what risk is he under? Has he gone across main roads? So he does have to stay on the lead a lot of the time. Um, I do sometimes jog with him um, and I have got a bike jaw attachment to the bike so it's a, a special bungee type attachment so the dog can be on a harness so a bit like sleigh sled dogs so he runs alongside you runs you in front actually oh, so yeah there is those you know there's canny cross and bike jaw which gives a lead dog some freedom to be able to move on a bit more but yeah it, it just means that by foot I have to walk further because he's on the lead more so I have to do three, four miles rather than one mile because he's off and he's done six. So then I have to ask you something else, actually, because um, it happens that we're actually, this is this is a question also about people being afraid of dogs yes. because a lot of people avoid doing things because yes. they're, they're scared of yeah. dogs. And uh, when you're in the woods, a lot of dogs are yeah. on the loose. And you talk about your, you told about your dog who was running after deer. But yes. I know someone who was out for a run in the woods and yeah. was chased by yeah. a dog yeah. for I don't know how long. What, what should you do if you're, if you're the other person who are being chased or even attacked by a dog? Yeah. Because that also happens. I mean, obviously, the herding type dogs are the more likely to be the dogs that will chase. Mm-hmm. So your collie dogs, those sort of dogs that you see on a farm they are naturally tend to be the chasers so the more you run and the more you make noises the more exciting it is for them and of course the game goes on so actually in that situation probably standing still and just being boring because then the excitement for the dog's not there anymore um but it is a threatening situation it can be a problem my mum for instance she goes on a daily walk around buckham park she hasn't got a dog and she will always report to me how many muddy paw prints she's got up her kite. Mm. And she's, you know, 75. You know, she's she's stable-ish, but if a dog came and unexpectedly yeah. jumped on her, she could fall yeah. over. And she did say that it does seem to be more of a problem. Dogs running up and jumping up because maybe the manners haven't been taught that yeah. you don't go and jump on people. And the dogs are so excited. And, of course, the owners think it's fun and nice because the dog's excited, but actually not so nice for the no. person they're jumping all over. I think, again, you're responsible for your dog. You should know its boundaries and know what control you have over it. If you haven't really got control over it, you should be more responsible and be aware of that and, and work with a trainer and get them focused on you. My, my pocket has always got dog treats in it because that's how I work with my dog's lead issue. You know, if you have got a dog that might go a little bit off, 
play hide and seek with them, make it a game, start hiding in the woods. Because once the dog thinks my owner's not there, they'll often go and try and find them. So it's quite a good game to play. If you think, oh no, they're embarrassingly going to jump up at these people, bring the dog in, either put it back on the lead or bring it in and give it some treats and... You know, it's getting praised for ignoring um, and apologising, you know. But say again then that you are this person up for a run in the woods yep. and a dog just yep. keeps chasing you and chasing yep. you for kilometre after kilometre. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you, you can't just stand still. Sometimes if you stand still and turn your back, and maybe if you made a bit of a gruff noise, it might startle it because they're so aroused. Yes. Adrenaline is racing around so much, you almost have to distract that, get them out of that mindset. And then hopefully you might hear someone shouting mm. in the distance. Sometimes when you stand and then do almost like a little bit of a stamp, the dog gets startled and then actually the dog suddenly goes, <gasps> and yeah. then they run back. <laughs> but um, yeah, I can appreciate it is very difficult. It happens with people on bikes. People yeah, on my mum had a dog that would always chase after yeah. joggers yeah. and yeah. on bikes. Yeah. And yeah. you just, yeah. she went off. So you mentioned at some points it's, it's best to keep them on the lead yeah. or call them back and put them on the lead in those kind of awkward situations where they might be jumping up. And this ties us into your to your campaign, which is Respect the Lead, yeah. which you've had massive success with. Could you tell us a bit about yeah. why you started it? Yeah, so um, I think it was 2017, it might have been 18. We were out for a family walk over New Year up at Box Hill. It was a nice sunny day, so it was very busy. So again, my dog on the lead. Um, Now, as I said previously, my dog was very lead reactive. I put hours and hours of time training with him. Now, to start with, it was really difficult to teach because his anxiety levels were higher than his wanting the reward of the food. And this is, again, especially with a rescue dog or any dog that's really anxious, is that food means nothing to them because they're just too anxious. So... Dogs, as a rule, don't like to sort of meet one another face to face if they feel threatened. Now, like with us, going back to the jogger situation, our natural protection and our survival tends to be fight or flight. So if we can't run away, how are we going to get out of danger? Well, we'll probably defend ourselves and fight. Now, obviously with dogs, once we put a dog on a lead, we take their ability to run away. So depending on the dog, even the nicest dog in the world, when you put that lead on you take that ability away and say when they're put into a vulnerable situation they feel worried about their next mode of action might be to fight so we were out on this walk and we were in the depths of the woods and a dog came bounding over no owner in sight a young dog very exuberant jumping around so of course straight away my dog now will look at me he's expecting there's a dog approaching me you're going to feed me so of course there goes my treat pocket and I'm feeding him yeah. and, and I'm saying leave and this other dog's persistingly bouncing around him. And now he will occasionally, he'll react. But on this occasion, the owners just came into sight and obviously they called the dog and it ran back. Well, of course, that probably 30 seconds of him persistingly irritating my dog could set me back in my training a lot. My dog could have bitten him. And then you could say to yourself, well, whose fault was that? I'll probably be the blame. Because yeah. my dog bit that dog. Yeah. Now, we carried on walking and we got to a clearing where lots of people were having picnics. And in the near sort of distance, I heard a dog fight. Now, dog fights are not nice to hear. A lot of growling, barking. Uh, there was a lot of screaming. So I, I naturally passed the lead over. My partner ran over there. And just as I got there, the dogs had kind of been separated. Some, I think someone threw a poo bag or something at them. And it distracted <sighs> them enough to break yeah. away. Now... 
it was one of those situations where the heat, the moment, and obviously the speed, I kind of, the dog was there loose that obviously the other dog had been biting and I sort of looked at it and I had a look over it and I thought, oh, hang on, this is this dog from earlier that was bugging my dog. So I kind of looked up at the people and then the two people of the dog that had obviously bitten him were quite forward with their wording. You know, we told you to keep the dog away, we told you to keep the dog away. And that's all they kept saying and, and the owners sheepishly walked off I then went back to my family and was a bit like, oh, adrenaline. Yeah. Oh, well, that dog was all right, the other dog. And as I walked back to the car, I felt this immense guilt. And I thought, that's that was that dog that was bugging my dog. That dog probably was retaliating naturally so. And I felt real guilt that I'd gone to the dog that had been bitten. And as I got back to the car, I noticed the girl of the dog that had bitten this other dog. She was standing there with the dog and she was crying her eyes out. And, um, you know, I said, are you all right? And she said, oh, we kept telling them to go away about 10 times. He said, can you call your dog back? Can you call your dog back? Our dog's reactive. And um, her partner had tried to split them up and had been bitten. So he came back from the toilet and not to be too graphic, but you could see his thumb bone because the dog had bitten so hard into his hand. Mm. Um, And he was going into shock. He was, you know... So um, I did a bit of human first aid and he had a van with the first aid kit and we flushed with saline and I sort of said, you must go to the hospital with this because that will, you'll get a nasty joint infection. You need to go and have that looked at. Um, And they were just really upset because as far as they were concerned, they were having a nice walk Mm. with their dog on a lead, minding their own business. And they kept expressing, can you call your dog away? Can you call your dog away? Knowing probably that their dog would react. So for a few days, I felt really, you know, it really resonated with me. And I thought, well, that could have quite easily been me 20 minutes before. And I sort of spoke to the guy that helps me with my arty bits of my business. And I said, look, I'm, I'm thinking I might start a campaign, you know, respect the lead. Just try and make people aware that dogs can be on a lead for loads of reasons. You know, puppies in training had surgery, so they're not allowed to be exercised too much. Just rescue them. You don't know their temperament. You haven't trained them enough Mm. you know they're old just to make people aware that actually a dog coming over off a lead all exuberant can actually put the owner and the dog that's on the lead in a you know position so we kind of made an infographic and um i posted it on my social media channels and yeah it obviously resonated with a lot of people and it just got shared all over the world with people you know i think any dog owner I mean I I could honestly say on every walk I go on that situation will happen and the problem is the awfully dog owners often the comment is it's okay he's friendly the dog that's coming over that's not the issue but as I say that vulnerable situation the only dog is put under can be immensely stressful for them so what should you do if you are the dog owner to the dog who's not on lead you should always check with the owner of the other dog right if you can depending on the distance because sometimes I mean I can walk down the side of a playing field on the footpath and then the dog that's all the way over the other side of the playing field will come running over so you might not even see an owner to be able to ask that you know or an owner might even see you to ask you so I would just be mindful of you know where you're walking can you reroute you know if you've got your dogs off a lead and you see some of the dog in the lead in the distance can you just maybe deviate off the path slightly yeah just to go in so you're not directly coming into contact yeah and can you call your dog back or just ask is it okay and I do find, funnily enough, since my campaign, mm. I do come across people who suddenly will put their dog on a lead. Mm. And I will actually say thank you. Or if someone's about to do it, I'll say, it's okay, don't worry. But 
People just have no recall. But there's this other side as well, because obviously the dogs need to socialise yeah, and with other dogs. Yeah. Should you just do that within specific contexts then, and with people you know? Or um, it's really, really difficult. So yes, all dogs need a outburst yeah. of energy to be able to do that. So I think everyone just needs to be responsible for their own dog. Yeah. Be honest. Have I got a good recall? Mm, five out of ten, maybe? Okay, well, let's maybe not go to the park when... It said it's busiest yeah. Yeah. when there might be families with their dogs on lead. Even if you like dogs, if you're sitting in the park or somewhere yeah. having a picnic and there comes a dog yeah. just running across your blanket, it's not great. I mean, even no. if it's a cute dog, absolutely. You might no. not I think it. just everyone needs to be responsible for their own dog. Um, I think you need to be a bit more what's up ahead. And the same thing can happen actually with two dogs on a lead. So you've got a dog on a lead that's obviously feeling a bit apprehensive, another dog on a lead that's feeling a bit apprehensive. Put the two together, it can be a recipe for disaster. So always so keep the meeting brief. A couple of seconds just to say some polite hellos to the human, a little sniff, and then distract them away because mm. they will have a threshold. So I try and sort of banana. So again, it's that front on, front on. So if you can just deviate slightly, even slightly, like a foot, mm-hmm. just so that you're not quite head on, yeah. yeah, that can really help. And a lot of countries now, they have areas that legally they have to be on a lead. And then they'll have dog parks where they can be off the lead. And actually, off-lead and off-lead is often quite a good solution. They're all free, they can all get away, but then often then the problem is packing. So if you're taking a big, large group of dogs out, if there's a situation, dogs often pack and copy the other dog. So if one dog's going for another dog, they'll all start to join in. A bit like, you know, men down the pub on a Friday (laughs) night. (laughs) Before you know it, everyone's joined in. But it is a little bit like that, to be honest. So yeah, it... Yeah, it's being really mindful of everyone that's around you. You know, the old couple having their romantic Sunday afternoon stroll. Mm. And some people don't like dogs. I do see it having a a younger child. I do see a lot of fear in the playgrounds. Mm, I do see a lot of children that are scared Mm -hmm. of dogs, which I think there's an element you do have to teach Mm. children how to approach dogs properly. But equally, I think sometimes if you've got a scared parent... He's then got a scared child. Yeah, yeah, that's common. So I will always say to people, especially if I've seen the scared child, mm-hmm. I will always actually say, would you like to stroke my dog? Mm-hmm. And nine times out of ten, actually, the parents just go, oh, you know, would you? And sometimes the child, I'm like, it's fine. And I'll crouch down with him. So, so what do you, with children, I know lots of children, they might not have dogs, but they, they really want one. And they're like, yeah. oh. And I mean, I always say to mine, I have to ask if you want yeah. to go and approach that dog. But what's the best solutions obviously all dogs are different yeah. as you pointed out. Uh, they are they sometimes feel intimidated if you're over them so i always say to people sort of crouch down yeah no of, vivid uh, movements of hands above the head yeah no. i would always see if they come to you yeah rather than you yeah. go to them and again it's reading that body language you know if the dog sort of dilates its pupils and sort of looks away a little bit it's actually moving away from you mm. and then you don't want to keep going just in just being calm in general yeah absolutely yeah But it's great that you've had immense success with this campaign. It's obviously a big issue among dog owners. So, yeah, well done. Thank you. Thank you. So if any of our listeners want to find out more about your Respect the Lead campaign and indeed your your work as a friendly pet nurse, where can they go to find out more information? Um, So I have a web platform for the Respect the Lead, which is www.respectthelead.com. On there is just a sort of background to why I started it, relevant 
people that I've spoken to and papers that I've been in. But the other really useful thing, which is free to download, various resources on there of posters. So it just has the basic message that we're trying to put across the do's and the don'ts. But it has a nice dog image, which has a slogan, like I'm on the lead because I'm learning about the world or I'm on the lead because I don't mix well with others. There's about six different ones. They're free to download. Um, I've had many requests for people asking if they can display them There's one for vets, if they want to put it on their notice board for clients to read. Um, The Friendly Pet Nurse, I'm on various social media channels. I'm kind of all about trying to educate owners. Sometimes with what we do, we expect owners to know. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it can be the simplest things of, you know, an animal's not getting its medication because the owners are struggling and just offering a treat idea of how they can maybe get the medication into them can be the answer to a dog getting better or not getting better yeah so yeah i try and educate people with tips of pet care and or studies that have shown various things for pet owners really great yes i definitely feel like i've learned lots from you you today all about dogs and how to care for them and how to navigate the way they behave etc it's been really useful thank you thank you very much thank you so much thank you thanks for listening to sounding out horsham If you have feedback on this episode or would like to suggest future topics for us to cover or people for us to speak to, you can reach us on social media via Twitter at SOHorsham or Facebook. Just search for Sounding Out Horsham or you can email us at SOHorsham at gmail.com. That's SOHorsham at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed listening to this episode and want to support what we do, we would be really happy to get a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And make sure you're following us so you don't miss our next episode.